Good morning. Please follow along as I read um, from 1 Peter. You can find it on your, um, the Bibles on your chairs on page 1,220. And we're reading verses 1 to 12. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels along to look into these things. Thank you, Corin. Uh, well, when we were in Sydney, Aisha and I took uh, a little trek up to the North Shore where she lived for a few years as a little kid. Um, we actually went and we knocked on the door of her old house. Uh, and luckily, the people living there were very friendly, uh, and they let us in for a walk down memory lane. Um, Aisha showed me where she and her siblings used to watch Shrek on VHS, uh, the stairs they loved sliding down as kids, um, but her one comment was, it's a lot smaller than I remember. Uh, and then we took a stroll down the street to the Bush School, Uh, And she told me about her adventures as a little year one, uh, carrying her flute to school and um, getting swooped by magpies. Uh, The drink fountains were a bit lower than she remembered. Uh, There were some sports going on as we were wandering around. And after a while, we felt a bit awkward. Um, Like, I hope no one comes up and asks what we're doing here. Um, Do you know what it feels like, though, to to feel like a stranger somewhere that you used to belong? I remember not long ago driving through Glenelg East um, after mum and dad sold the family home there and thinking, oh, my initials aren't on the pavement there anymore. Oh, there's a street corner where, you know, some big dramas happened with my teenage friendship group. And I remember thinking, if I knew then what I know now about life, 
I could have saved myself a bit of angst. Do you know that feeling? Can you imagine being one of those early Christians in Peter's day? Acts chapter 2 records that there were God-fearing Jews from Cappadocia, there in Jerusalem, when Peter preached the first Christian sermon. Imagine that's you. You've traveled all the way down to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. You get to the temple and you find this big commotion, all these people speaking in every language under the sun, talking about one thing, Jesus. And as Peter preaches, you're cut to the core. All those stories that you grew up with, you know, in the Cappadocian synagogue, start coming alive as you hear of this Messiah who suffered and rose in glory as part of God's plan to save. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And you know it's true. So you give your life to Jesus. And after some unforgettable days in Jerusalem, you pack up and head home. And back in Cappadocia things feel different. That mix of Jewish culture and pagan revelry, the big nights of drinking, the various temples you once felt quite at home in, the language you once used, just don't fit right anymore. You think back to the joy of praising God with other Christians, of encouraging each other to live differently. It was like a taste of heaven, a taste of of home, even. And your friends start to look at you different. Come on, don't be a stranger. You're home, but you're not really home. Now, whether that's a totally accurate telling of how the gospel might have reached Peter's first readers here, it's an example of every Christian's story, right? Knowing Jesus changes you. As you realize that your home, your real home, is with him. And that creates certain pressures and tensions in life now. Concerned family. The you've changed comment. New priorities at work and home. Another way that you could translate that phrase from verse 1, elect exiles, uh, would be chosen strangers. Chosen by God, feeling like a stranger in your old home. Peter wrote in the early 60s AD uh, to believers living on the fringes of the Roman Empire in modern-day Turkey. I've got a map up here to give you a bit of a vibe. Uh, It's that part of the map that says Asia Minor. You can sort of see some of the names there. Um, They lived under Emperor Nero, who is not remembered for being particularly kind to Christians. As you read through 1 Peter, you get this sense of simmering, sporadic opposition to Christians. You know, insults. People a bit surprised by the Christian lifestyle. Unfair treatment. Tension in households. It sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You can imagine these early Christians asking themselves, how, how do I live with boldness and joy as someone who just doesn't quite fit like I used to? Peter's writing to people really a lot like Christians here today, 
living in a secular world with that kind of sporadic and a little bit random and rising pressure, wondering how to thrive when you don't quite fit. And the danger he wants to point out for chosen strangers, then and now, is that we'll settle for less, that we'll forget about our real home, and just settle back into the old home. A world that rejects God, where, you know, the things you can buy and touch and eat are all that there is, and where death is the end. As he opens his letter, Peter gives us four big reasons not to settle for less. And they're there in your outline, so you can follow where I'm going. Uh, Reason one, because you're chosen for more. Let's read again in your Bibles from verse one. Let me read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Here's a thought uh, for chosen strangers. Before you were born, in fact, before the creation of the world, God the Father set his affection on you. Where do we find that sense of identity and purpose in life today? Is it the dream of success, the big title, the perfect relationship, those sort of dreams that often turn into nightmares in reality? Peter is reminding us, don't settle for less. You can't get any higher title, any greater purpose in life than this, to be a chosen child of God. And anyone who trusts in Jesus is known by the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Uh, Sanctifying is a very religious-sounding word. That means just setting aside or setting apart. God the Holy Spirit has set his people apart to belong not to the world, but to him. And that's not something we do ourselves by our good behavior. God the Spirit changes us from the inside out. Known by the Father, set aside by the Spirit for an amazing purpose, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Of all the people and causes that we might give our lives to, who better to obey than the one who was willing to spill his own blood for us? Peter has a lot to say about what that life of obedience looks like, but I think what he has in mind here is the most simple act of obedience, of just bending the knee to Jesus and saying, I put my life in your hands. Because once you put your trust in Jesus like that, no matter how good or bad a job you do of obeying him, you are marked out as one of his, marked out as forgiven, as purchased forever by his blood. Hey, like Peter's first readers, we live in a world of pressure, don't we? If you're a believer, uh, it's easy to feel pretty isolated Uh, Maybe you're the only Christian in your office. 
uh, in your household uh, or in that group of friends. It's easy to feel a bit on the fringes, especially when the popular opinion about Christians isn't always super kind. But just think about this. If you're someone who bows the knee to Jesus, God could not be more invested in you. Did you notice that? God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son completely invested in choosing you, setting you apart, marking you out with precious blood as one of his own. So don't think of yourself as on the fringes. No, followers of Jesus are more like those pilgrims of old, you know, those Israelites who God saved out of Egypt. On the surface, they're a scruffy rabble of ex-slaves wandering the ancient Near Eastern desert. But they knew who they were, God's chosen people. And they carried around with them the blood of the covenant. You know, they'd been sprinkled with the blood of bulls as a very concrete picture of God's deadly, serious commitment to them. No, they're not at home, not yet. Passing through on that dusty road to the promised land. That's us today. Travelers chosen for more. Is that how you think of yourself? I reckon it's easy enough to apply that kind of thinking to, say, our overseas missionaries. Um, Think of our dear Purdy family, and they're actually here today. I hope it's okay that I talk about you. Uh, Let me know if what I say is accurate. Okay, they're preparing to go to Chile and to teach people about Jesus in Chile. And we keep praying that their visas will be approved soon. They're living in limbo Uh, They're waiting to leave behind family, friends, and a culture they know. Uh, They're taking their kids to learn a new language uh, in a place where everyone will know they're different every day. Uh, Does that sound kind of right? (laughs) Now, among all the challenges that will come with that, they'll be experiencing the, the daily reality of being elect exiles. Not at home, not yet. For those of us who aren't in the process of packing our bags to go overseas and share the gospel, it's tempting to look at a family like that and think, oh, I can see how God has called them uh, to, you know, out of the comforts of home, to live a radical life in the world so that people might get to know Jesus. And we can forget that every believer, no matter where you live, is a chosen stranger. Don't settle for less, says Peter, because you've been chosen for something much greater. Whether you're in Cappadocia, Chile, or Kernelite Gardens, your home is with the God who saved you. For some of us, not settling for less perhaps should involve opening ourselves up to leaving the familiar and to go and live for Jesus somewhere else. For all of us, it'll involve seeing life in this world as a trek towards home rather than the end goal. Learning that art of living and working here in Adelaide as someone set apart for God. 
one of the many reasons I'm really glad to be partnering with the Purdy family is that they're going to remind me of who I'm chosen to be. And I want my kids to pray for their kids uh, because it's going to teach them that there's so much more to life than the comforts of Adelaide. Remember who you are. Okay, yes, a stranger in this world, handpicked by the king of the universe. Now, I don't know about you, when I hear it put like that, I can't help but think, am I too at home in the here and now? When we finished our time in Sydney and started telling people we were moving back to Adelaide, uh, people said, yes, great place to settle down. Wide roads, thriving school communities, great opportunities for sport and academics. And I I was going to add affordable housing. Uh, Wouldn't it be sad if my world became all about unpacking my bags, putting my feet up, and trying to feel like I've arrived, and forgetting who I've been chosen to be? How am I going to show that I belong to another world? Uh, My Bible dictionary tells me that the word translated exile or stranger was used um, in other kind of writing of the time to talk about civil servants uh, who distinguished themselves by exemplary conduct while on international business. I think that's quite appropriate. Um, I used to find it really nice when my friends would say, oh, Christians are really weird, but you're okay. Um, You know, you're kind of like us. Uh, Maybe there's something encouraging there. Um, But more and more I'm wondering if it might be good for my friends to think I'm a bit weirder um, because I belong somewhere else, somewhere that they'd probably be quite interested to know about uh, if it was on their radar. As a church family, we've got a duty to each other to remind each other of who we are. We're a bunch of scattered pilgrims on international business, if you will. So let's cheer each other on as we gather together like this for a taste of home. Because point two, you have a future. That life of joy and boldness will come from looking forward. Uh, Listen to how Peter, he bursts almost into song in verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. If the Christian life was just about not fitting in, you could see how you'd end up feeling pretty tired and grim. But it's about so much more because there's a destination. When Jesus rose from from the grave, he blazed a trail For all his people scattered through time and space, that's where we're going too. Peter describes it as an inheritance. You know, those wilderness pilgrims, they looked forward to a land flowing with milk and honey, their inheritance forever. And they glimpsed it in the promised land. But even that was a foretaste of the green pastures that will roll on forever No more sin, no more death or crying or pain. A home built by God himself when Jesus returns and we live face to face with him. 
an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. Last year, we bought a new car. Uh, it was a big decision, uh, but we thought, you know, maybe having a slightly larger car would, you know, set us up well for the next chapter. And after all this agonizing of looking for a good deal and low kilometers and all that, it was a pretty nice feeling uh, to see that mighty Nissan Pathfinder in the driveway, all shiny. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Aisha was driving home uh, from Aldinga. Out of nowhere, uh, something dropped from an overpass and shattered our windscreen. Uh, and just like that, the kind of we're all set feeling was gone. Uh, now we're glad our insurance covers the windscreen. But if this world really is the destination, life is going to be full of frustration and disappointment because even the shiny things that we hold out for turn dull in an instant. But if death is not the end, if Jesus really did walk out of that tomb as a trailblazer, then there is a home that is unfading, undefiled, undying. And unlike so many of our hopes in this world that can be dashed by a pebble from an overpass or a hike in interest rates, nothing can take away our home with God. So can I ask you, are you looking for something that won't fade away? Maybe you're here today tired of pouring yourself into things that don't satisfy. The exhaustion of keeping up with the Joneses. The anxiety of trying to earn approval. Trying to fit as much into life before it all fades. Please don't leave here today without hearing there is more to be found in Jesus. Some of us have been on that road home for a while now. Can I ask, when was the last time you praised God because of your hope? If you're anything like me, you're thankful for that hope. But in the busyness of life, it's easy to keep your head down, looking at the cracks in the pavement or maybe on the windscreen. And you need to be reminded once in a while to look up and see the beautiful future that God has laid out for you, just cracking in over the horizon. I'll never forget um, reading this open letter written by a pastor in China in 2018 after he was arrested by the government, uh, especially this line. He said, All acts of the church are attempts to prove to the world the real existence of another world. It makes me think, he gets one Peter. Man, it's easy to forget that there's another world when this world seems pretty good. Peter's here to remind us to look up and lean forward towards that beautiful future because there's going to be pressure and disappointment now. But it's okay because you're not home yet. So, just practically, the next time something shiny in your house breaks, probably this afternoon in my household, <laughs> when that happens, say to yourself, it's okay, I'm not home yet, not really, all right? 
Because when you know that you belong to some place unfading, you can look around at life now with all its beauty and its troubles and think, okay, it's smaller than I first thought. Point three, because it means something now. How does that glorious future help when the pressure is on now and disappointment is real? Are Christians kind of supposed to stoically endure to the end or can life now be enjoyable? On the flip side, are we meant to have this kind of too blessed to be depressed kind of attitude and get so fixated on that horizon that we pretend that the hurdles in front of us aren't really there? A lot of people have been hurt by those two extreme responses, but Peter paints a much richer picture in verse 6 of a life where joy and tears can coexist. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Pain is real, but we can rejoice even through tears because we know it won't last forever from the perspective of eternity It is just a little while, and there's comfort in that, but it goes deeper. The suffering you face right now might be bewildering, but it's not just an accident in a chaotic world. Uh, Peter said that you may have had to go through them. That is, it's not pointless. The turbulence of life means something. Verse 7, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to be careful here um, not to go past what God has told us. We don't always know why suffering hits, And I'm not here to offer some glib reason to feel better. But God wants you to know, down in the depths, it is not pointless. Because somehow, he's using those troubles to refine your faith into something more precious and lasting than gold. It's not meaningless. And it's not invisible either. Um, I think of my friend LJ. Um, She gave up this dream research gig in another city to be part of a little church plant. Um, She was convinced that people hearing about Jesus was the most exciting thing happening in the world, and she could see that the hours and demands of this job would affect her ability to be part of that. She chose to be a little bit less noticed in the world, and there was grief involved in that decision. But Peter says in verse 7 that one day, that unseen decision and all those kinds of unseen decisions and sufferings will result in praise and honor in heaven because in some small way, it gave glory to Jesus. And that's where the real gold is. Joy and tears can coexist Let's not make the mistake of those wilderness wanderers 
you know, when they were getting close to the promised land, they saw just how big the enemies they had to face on the way were. And they grumbled in their tents and they said, the Lord hates us. That's Deuteronomy 1 verse 27. The Lord hates us. They forgot who called them, forgot their future, forgot that even in the furnace, God is fully on their side. When the pain of life heats up, what story am I going to tell? Is it the Lord hates us story? Or perhaps more subtly, the God mustn't really want the best for me story? Is it the things just happen to me story? Me at the mercy of a chaotic world. The nothing matters story. The things will get better somehow story. I don't know about you, but those stories from my old home are pretty ingrained. But if we want to know deep, inexpressible joy in the here and now, we've got to learn the gospel story. The story of a Christ who suffered and then was glorified, as Peter puts it in verse 11. Cross and then resurrection. When we know that story deep down in our bones, we'll know that it's, it's just for a little while. We'll know how this story ends and we'll know it's not pointless or invisible. My grandfather, um, Papa Dino, became a Christian quite late in life. And around that time, he was going through lots of health challenges, lots of trips in and out of hospital. I remember one night before a particularly dicey surgery, uh, we weren't quite sure if he'd come through. And he invited me to come before and pray for him, uh, which was kind of a new thing for him. As they wheeled Papadino off to the surgery, he, he gave this little smile and said, Jamie, either way, I win. And you know, in the heat of the moment, he knew the story. Either God's going to pull me through this pain to live another day, and that grows me in the process, or he takes me home to glory. I can't lose. Isn't that a golden insight? What precious faith. If you know Jesus, then you can rejoice in even the diciest moment. But we've got to fight for that joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we fight for joy, holding on to Jesus in grief and pressure, we actually taste our final salvation in the here and now. Because we're walking in that story of suffering and then glory, the path our Savior trod first. Don't settle for less because Jesus is with you on that road and it means something. Last reason, to embrace the life of a chosen stranger because of the angels. Okay, Peter takes us from the future in point two to the present, 
point three, now back to the past in point four. Have a look again at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. Generations of faithful Old Testament prophets looked forward to the days that we now live in because like Peter's first readers, we have the massive privilege of being able to look back at the climactic events of God's rescue story They saw the shadows ahead of time, the exodus, the law, King David, the temple, exile. They were all pointing forward to Jesus' cross and empty tomb. As an aside, uh, the Bible is clear that those Old Testament faithful believers are saved, just as we are, by faith in Jesus as they welcomed him from afar. But man, they wished that they could stand where we are today. To be able to see how Jesus came close and fulfilled every promise that God made through them. In our culture today, I think the word privileged can be used as a bit of an insult. Maybe because we live in such a well-off society, we're a bit embarrassed about how much we have and we want to justify ourselves and feel like we've earned our place. But imagine being someone who the world looks down on, who hasn't made it yet. If you're a public Christian, um, then that's actually you. Think of those early believers scattered in Pontus, Galatia and Cappadocia, losing their place in the synagogue, copying insults from friends, hearing threats of persecution from Rome. You long for that great inheritance, but you know you can't earn it. You know the road there's not going to be easy. If that's you, and that's not really hypothetical, you actually need to know that you are privileged from an amazing family tree of faithful saints who longed to know the Messiah like you know him. And in verse 12, Peter adds that even the angels long to look into the truths of the gospel. No matter what your financial position, no matter where you are on the social ladder, if you know Jesus, you cannot get any richer. So this is an invitation to embrace your privilege. Wear that label of stranger in the world as a badge of honour. When you feel the grief of that hard decision because you chose to put Jesus first, when you get that look of pity from a friend when you talk about church, when you find yourself weeping at the outrageous realities of death and sin in this broken world, picture that army around you of faithful Old Testament believers, of blazing angels watching on as you walk this tricky path, wishing, just wishing they could trade places with you. What a privileged position to be in. One of God's chosen travelers passing through on the way to heaven. They're cheering you on. So let me leave us with that question. Am I too at home here? 
Where am I tempted to settle for less? What might it look like for you to wear the name of chosen stranger as a badge of honour? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, what a privilege to be your chosen pilgrims in this world. Please teach us the joy of living for something that can't fade. Thank you that the struggles and tensions of life aren't pointless. And I pray now for those of us who are really feeling those things at the moment. Please fill all of us with a hope that is as alive as Jesus is. Amen.